desperately more humanity and thoughtfulness and inspiration. And, you know, all these radical women represent just that. Yeah, there is symbolic value. Yeah, there is creativity. There's a bunch of things in it. So art is an incredible arena for dealing with a lot of complexity in the world in a very mm -hmm. powerful way. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the new Latin Wave. We're here, we're back, and what a better way to kick this off today in the International Day of Women. This episode is quite special. So we want to welcome you to our fourth episode. And uh, we have Melissa Science Gordon here in the studio with us. Hi, Melissa. You join us during our first episode, introducing us to some amazing Mujeres Radicales that we are going to talk about today uh, during this special day to honor women. You and I finally went to the Brooklyn Museum last year to experience the radical women, Latin American, 1960 to the 1985 art exhibit. And I have to say that it was an incredible eye-opening moment. Hi, Camila. Yes, it's good to be back. And the Radical Women of Latin America exhibition was special for a variety of reasons. It was really the first of its kind and showcased one of the most marginalized voices in the arts and in society at large, I think we can all argue. And it really introduced an entire group of artists into the canon of contemporary art. Um, secondly, it was huge and featured um, every medium you could think of, paintings, sculpture, video, audio, land art, installation works um, that all spoke to the multifaceted and international Latina Latinx perspective during a time of social evolution. This was the 1960 to 1985 uh, time frame. And so what is this exhibition about, Melissa? This show explored the female body. And it's not what it seems. These artists specifically explored how women and the female form have been politicized, sexualized, physically abused uh, in society using contemporary arts to convey these themes. Uh, curators Cecilia Fajardo Hill and Andre Junta specifically featured artists who use the body to establish a liberated narrative. And this show was intended to be even bigger than it already was, as Andrea Junta explains. Well, uh, we began with the idea to make an exhibition departing from 1945 until the 80s. And mm -hmm. from the point of view of more conceptual art, um, but after one year working, we had more than 400 names, including also abstract art, and it was a madness, you know, the exhibition mm. was like uh, bigger than the documenta. And then we conceived that the political body was the issue. And when we said the political body, we defined these keywords in different ways. Uh, the political body means, first, that these women were working on the many times on the body or on their own body, bringing their own body to the extremes. Second, that they were many times working in very um, extreme situations because they were creating under civil wars or they were creating under dictatorships. 
So Documenta, as Andrea just referenced, um, is a mega art exhibition in Germany that showcases movements in contemporary art. So it's massive and it's kind of the the cornerstone of, of the arts. But her point is that although Latina, Latinx voices have been suppressed for so long, you may have thought that that's because women weren't creating any works of art. And that's just not true. They found so many artists uh, that it would have warranted a show of that size. So when you think about this in terms of museums, uh, our history in the context of these spaces is completely skewed and completely incorrect. So what's interesting here is that when you factor these works of art into the greater arch of art history, then uh, a new history begins to take shape and a new narrative begins to show itself. And that's what this exhibition is, really does. This is something that you can see uh, strongly in the exhibition, is that they produce an iconographical turn. They change the way to look at the female body. You have to think that the female body in the long history of art has been observed from an external perspective, from an eye usually a patriarchal eye that is representing the female, usually the nude female body, from a patriarchal or a male perspective. In this case, it's an internal eye. They are representing themselves. They are analyzing their own experiences of the body. I love that. And to be honest, when I first learned that this show was about the female body, I totally cringed. I was completely triggered, and that's because I'm so used to seeing women portrayed as the odalisque, the plump, white, naked woman seen lounging on a sofa in any glossy oil painting, um, you know, from the 19th century. There are iconic images, there are iconic paintings, but in reality, these women, the subjects of these paintings, were property. The odalisque literally translates to female slave slash concubine. And concubine is like a kept woman or a mistress. And odalisque is a common term in our history. This is insane. They teach this to kids in schools. <laughs> so we're conditioned to see women through the male gaze. And the Radical Women exhibition pivots from this completely and challenges it outright and perhaps even illuminates the consequences of the odalisque. Yeah, yeah, you know, the female body was object objectified, but also was penalized, and it was taboo. Many mm. women experiences are not represented in the, art of, uh, in the history of art. For example, Maria Delia Marmolejo, who is a Colombian artist and performer, she stamped her body and, you know, make a, uh, with the blood uh, falling in the paper. Um, and then she inverted the patriarchal gesture of an artist, like it's claimed that it was using the body of women as a brush. As you can imagine, um, finding a space for a radical Latina, Latinx voice was difficult. And this became... Um, apparent to Cecilia and Andrea. And while it took almost 10 years um, of research, travel, discovery to bring this show to light, that actually could have worked to their benefit because it ended up being the perfect social climate for a radical woman 
exhibition. It first opened back in September of 2017 in LA. 45 had just been elected into office and it was a scary time for a lot of people. So I know for me and my creative peers, uh, we really sought refuge in this exhibition when it came to Brooklyn um, and it really empowered our voice. You have to think that the first four years of this project, we struggled a huge amount. Hmm. Firstly, you know, this project was born at MOLA, though it's a project that I wanted to do for a long time. In, event, in January of 2010, we started working together. I invited Andrea Junta to join the project, and she became the co-curator of the show. The issue is MOLA, because it's a conservative institution, eventually threw me out of the museum because of the show. Hmm. So, but at the time, you know, Pacific Standard Time, the Get Initiative was already ongoing. I was part of the original team of people discussing how this project, this, this kind of new iteration of PSD, will come along. And the Hammer Museum was looking for um, was looking for a for a project, you know. And then yeah. they knew that I was working on this project, so they called me and asked me, "Do you have a venue?" And I said, "No." So I went and and showed them the project as it was at that stage. And unfilling who, you know, I must say is someone who really believes in highlighting women um, mm. decided to take on this project together with Cindy Burlingham and and then you know uh, Connie Butler very soon after the, ex- the exhibition was taken by the Hammer actually joined the museum as a curator so we were very fortunate that you know a group of women that are aware of the issue of you know the absence of women in the field and the need to address so, sense of justice were the one who actually took on the project. And it's not surprising that the Brooklyn Museum with this feminist Sackler Center is the one that actually has taken on the project. You really needed a couple of days to see this show. There were over 123 unique artists from 15 countries. Uh, there were films that deserved your attention. There was photography and imagery that was so visceral and really elicited an emotional you know, kind of a heavy response. It really deserved multiple visits. Um, I mean, ultimately, it introduced a new class of contemporary artists to the canon. And the exhibition was broken down into sections that spoke to different approaches. Um, this is best explained by Garmin Edmo of the Brooklyn Museum. We're actually in this section called Mapping the Body, which I think is one of the sort of... Um, underpinnings of the show is the idea of women artists mapping their own bodies rather than sort of being under the gaze of a male artist or a male painter or male government systems and instead making images of their own bodies, their own experiences, whether it is menstrual blood or, um, you know, for instance, there's works in here by Liliana Porter where she's using her body as a ground for a drawing and then the drawing extends the wall and sort of playing with this conceptual push between different mediums and the woman's body is at the center of that and so you see just so many different approaches and I think it was sort of interesting for us in this feminist center to say okay in a way the female body is almost like an orthodox mm-hmm. thing for artists to take on it's everywhere it's in like like you're saying advertising culture media um, but then actually in this show it just shows you just how many diverse takes come from this one sort of ever-present form or idea. So Carmen is the assistant curator of the Elizabeth E. Sackler Center for Feminist Art at the Brooklyn Museum and is a total badass. She's worked at 
the Guggenheim, the Whitney, MoMA, and helped organize the Brooklyn iteration of this show. So not only is she bringing a season perspective, but you can tell she was equally inspired by Cecilia and Andrea's radical vision. A lot of the women in this exhibition explore motherhood and the issues of maternity and the expectations from these patriarchal societies that women should always be mothers. And so you see mothers who are also photographers. And, you know, there's a great piece by Sylvia Salazar Simpson where she takes performative photographs of herself in the mirror with food in her hair that she was actually cooking for her sons. So she was doing double duty, making lunch, but then also making art at the same time from the same materials. You know, Anna Mendieta, um, she did a lot of sort of um, conceptual photography. So there's a great piece where um, she and her fellow student, who's a male with a big bushy beard, sitting next to each other and he shaves his beard off and she uh, glues it to her face. So a very simple gesture made in 1972, so very early, where she's sort of, you know, questioning gender and questioning the norms of gender and who is a man and who is a woman and what happens when those things get uh, shaken up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, it, is it the one? Yes. Is that one? Yeah. yeah. So we're sort of standing in front of it now. But then, you know, she's also appears in the resistance and fear section, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people read as the dictatorship mm-hmm. section, which there is a lot of work in that section dealing with the very real issues of state violence against women, against people, period. And um, Anna Mendieta appears in there in a work that she made in Iowa about a rape and murder of one of her fellow students that was completely um, swept under the rug by the school. And so she made sort of an honorary performance to, to call attention to that violence. Get on a casa. All right, let's take a break. Uh, What you're listening to now is Stefa, una artista radical. Enjoy. back with our episode on the Mujeres Radicales exhibit. Melissa, when you were talking to Andrea and Cecilia, the curators of this exhibit, there were clear challenges when they put this exhibit together from 
discovering the artists, uh, going and traveling to Latin America, from finding the right venue for this exhibit, from finding the money to sustain this this exhibit. So tell us, tell us what those challenges were, please. What was their process like? What, what happened there? You think finding artists would be the biggest obstacle or biggest challenge, but after Andrea and Cecilia spent years on this project, finding a venue proved to be their biggest challenge, especially in Latin America. It was uh, very difficult, I have to say. Since we began to work in this project that it was in 2010, together with Cecilia Fajardo Hill, uh, we were, um, you know, we have to confront a lot of opposition from our colleagues, not necessarily in the United States, but mm. in Latin America. Uh, some of them consider that an exhibition like this should not happen because it will confirm the idea that Latin America is a machista. We have to confront incredible ridiculous and uh, uh, patriarchal objections and one that was very interesting was that everybody was asking us if we were including some men and then we wondered well why we should include some men if we are curating an exhibition of women artists mm. and if you are doing an exhibition of French art nobody will ask you if you are including a German because it's a, such an ambitious and expensive exhibition to produce you know, it really is thanks to the Getty are giving a lot of funds for the research and the production of the show and also the capacity that the Hammer had to fundraise for a lot also of its cost. We were able to do it. For a lot of institutions, still not worth the effort that it takes to fundraise for something like this. It really required a, a lot of patience and a lot of work to make it happen. So it's not an exhibition that can travel just like right. this, you know, it, it requires also museums to have certain conditions, requires for museums mm. to have uh, technological equipment, video and so forth, no? Right. So, but, you know, the reality is a lot of museums today do exhibitions that are ambitious in nature. The issue is, do they want to, you know, people make a much larger effort for exhibition, which for me, a lot less, you know, they, they don't have the research, they don't have this kind of art historical nature of this project. But I feel that there is still a huge resistance to women, honestly. And, you know, mm -hmm. even though, you know, I've heard so many people say, hey, we want the show, and then when they see the cost, the cost is not that much. I've seen what other exhibition costs. But, you know, it requires a commitment, a true commitment in terms of yeah, what you have I to believe in it. <laughs> you have yeah, to believe have in to it. Have a, yeah. <laughs> this exhibition only happens, you know, I always say, you know, because Andrea and me were incredibly stubborn and totally, like, and, you know, committed to make it happen. Even after I lost my job, I thought, you know, I just need to save myself and my family and this yeah. project. That was like a thing number one. So yeah, something like this doesn't yeah. happen just because it just happens. I was really surprised to see the amount of media art featured in this show. So I asked Cecilia why so many women were really drawn to these new technologies. Yeah, so basically, if you think about it, Women were pretty much excluded from the traditional languages of, of art, you know, that they were kind of mm. occupied kind of an inferior echelon. So when a medium like, let's say, the video port pack came on, it was a completely 
It was a medium that was a new medium, was a medium for com com beginning to explore, and it didn't have any of the pitfalls of classical art and so forth. So, for example, let's say using a video to talk about yourself, it was mm. a very liberating thing to do performance that didn't even require an audience. Photography, you know, to use photography, which did have a history of document documentary and some sort of colonial history, but it didn't have a huge history as a high art. So these were, it was a huge opportunity for women to be experimental, you know, with also with printing techniques, and photographic techniques, installation art. So in a way, you know, the exhibition, 50% of the show is video and photography. Photography wow. is video num uh, the, the medium number one in video. And for me, it, it makes complete sense because it was an undiluted, unsentimental, very flexible, very direct way of producing a work also with not, you know, so many expensive means. Right. But I can say that uh, I can point out uh, some works that I think that are very important in terms of making sense in the exhibition. For example, Victoria Santa Cruz, that is a Peruvian artist, Afro-descendant, uh, she makes a piece that is at the beginning of the exhibition and it's amazing the piece because basically she says, uh, that she didn't know she, that she is a performance, no? She didn't know that she was black, but uh, when a little girl called her black and didn't want to play with her, then she was aware that it was something bad, and then uh, she tried to change her appearance, but one day she said, well, no, yes, I am black, then I'm what? And then she, uh, you know, uh, she was proud of being black. Then this piece is very important because it creates uh, in the audience the the will to transform themselves. You know, who are you? Then and through all these questions that once and again exploring, who are you? What is your body? What is your portrait? Now you and I went to this exhibition last year. The exhibition is no longer at the Brooklyn Museum. But let's talk about the relevance of this exhibition and now in our time for women, for youth, and for artists, and for the Latinx community, right? This show is really a reminder that art is powerful and to keep creating and keep shaking it up because Frida didn't stop as we see with the Brooklyn Museum show that's on view. Dolores Huerta didn't stop. She coined Si Se Puede with Cesar Chavez and she's still campaigning. She even has Instagram, so go look her up. Uh, so perhaps what this show did was make us think this is our radical time. I think there's a really powerful way that we, this show and Cecilia and Andrea's work in uniting Latin American artists from Latin America with Latina artists born or making their work in the U.S., it just sends a really powerful message of, you know, our expectation might be to come and say from the white perspective, oh, well, white United States-based perspective, okay, well, Latin America is a place of violence, of dictatorships, but actually you see the same issues played out in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, it's a really powerful um, show in the way that it's not necessarily taking you from country to country. I mean, it's really a way to get to know work that we all should know and that I think to understand the ways that different contexts work on different levels of maybe you do identify with uh, work by somebody who is from the country that you came from and had a similar experience or maybe you're more attracted to somebody who's working in a conceptual realm who's from a you know completely different region and so I think there's just so many ways to approach it but 
at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, museums need to do a better job of showing Latin American and Latina art. This is a big one that's gotten a lot of attention. And that just as itself is a good thing. You know, it's yeah. good for Latina artists to know or Latin Latinx artists to know that we're moving forward, that museums are trying to catch up, trying to do better. And so um, yeah. we hope that this show is just the beginning of a lot more work in I the field. This is the end, Finn, of our fourth episode. We want to thank the Brooklyn Museum for opening the doors to us, Carmen, Cecilia, Andrea, and Melissa for joining us on this journey. But especially thank you for listening right now and later. Thank you to our editor and producer, Amanda Dora Risman. Music was composed by our very own Sokio, and he's also our post-production nerd. I am your host, Camila Montañez. Hasta luego. Exactly.